Well, we're going to turn to the scriptures now, and we're going to read from the book of Daniel. Uh, Before I went off on holiday, we were in the book of Daniel, and we left it at uh, chapter 9. Tonight, we're going to look at chapters 10 through to chapter 12. Uh, We're only going to read chapter 12 tonight. Uh, We'll say a little bit about chapter 10 and also some, uh, something about chapter 11 uh, later in the service, but we're going to read chapter 12 together now. Uh, you'll find it on page 750 of the Pew Bibles, uh, 750, uh, Daniel chapter 12. Uh, let me just tell you, uh, as you're looking that up, where we're going in terms of preaching uh, over the next uh, few weeks and months. At our morning services, I'm hoping to start the book of Exodus on uh, this Sunday morning coming, next Sunday. And then next Sunday evening, we're going to return to Luke's Gospel. We've been in Luke's Gospel uh, for some time, sort of taking the series uh, bit by bit. Uh, we're returning to, to, to Luke uh, next Sunday evening. So Exodus and Luke, and you may want to, to read some of the early chapters of those books in your own devotions this week as we prepare uh, to, to, to start both of those series again. Tonight, though, we're reading Daniel chapter 12, page 750 of the Pew Bibles. And as we read, we remember that this is God's word to us. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others, one on on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that, when, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go, away, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days, but go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 12. Uh, You'll find that reading, that passage on page 750 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning it up, let's pray briefly again together. 
Father, we thank you that we have this precious time to open and study your word. We pray that as we've just been singing that you would cause your word to come alive in us. Help us to understand the scriptures and to find hope from them. And help us to understand a particularly complicated part of the Bible. We pray that we would be pointed to Jesus most of all. And so we pray that you would come by your spirit and that he would shine the spotlight on Christ so that we might be built up in our faith and also understand your ways in this world. For we ask and pray all these things in our Saviour's name. Amen. There are some things about the future that we're better off not knowing. We could give lots of examples, uh, but I think the one that will pull on our heartstrings the most is to think about the future of our children or our grandchildren. Uh, something that I think regularly about is what kind of world my children, your children, your grandchildren will grow up in. Because at the minute, things are pretty awful. If you spend any time watching the news, you will be thoroughly downbeat about things. The headlines are full of bad news stories. Now, the thing is, the slight caveat is that things have always been awful. Things were awful when I was growing up. Things were awful when you were growing up. We're just more aware of the awfulness because of 24-hour news channels and the constant stream of news through the internet and social media. But what kind of world will my children grow up in? And you know the, the kinds of issues that I'm thinking about, that I'm skirting, the cultural shifts that we've seen in the past 10 years and all the outworking of them in schools and in workplaces, the movement towards technology and all of the mental health issues that that brings. If you spend too long thinking about the future of the children and young people in our lives, you'll end up very worried indeed. There are some things about the future that we're better off not knowing. But there are some things so there, there are some things about the future that God wants us to know. And he has gone to significant lengths to communicate the future to us. And in the last part of Daniel, we have what God believes we should know about the future. This is our, our last visit to the book of Daniel. Uh, we began this series way back in May. We, we parked it in July as we looked at Daniel chapter 9. And you might remember on that night, I set you some homework. And that was to read Daniel 10 through to 12. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you did it at the door tonight. But we're coming back to Daniel tonight to round off the series and to make sure that we get to the end of the book. I was speaking to a friend this week about what I was preaching on this, uh, this, uh, tonight. Uh, and I said to him, Do you know, expository preaching is the only way to preach. It is just the way that I do things and it's just the only way that I'll ever do things. I'm convinced of it, believe in it. But it's hard when you get to passages like this. And he said that that's true and that there are times when you could happily miss out a passage or a chapter. And I have to be honest and say that I did consider doing that as I tried to prepare for this sermon. This, this final vision of Daniel is complicated beyond anything that I've ever, ever preached on before. But we're going to take a look at it tonight for the simple reason that it is God's word to us. One of the most foundational verses for me as I approach the Old Testament but particularly difficult passages in the Old Testament is Romans 15 verse 4. I've mentioned it in church before, but let me re read you a paraphrase of that verse. 
It's provided by Jebby Phillips, who translated the New Testament into modern English. And this is how he puts Romans 15, verse 4. For all those words which were written long ago are meant to teach us today, so that we may be encouraged to endure and to go on hoping in our own time. I find that to be a really helpful translation. What we have written and recorded in Daniel 10 through to 12 is meant to encourage us to go on hoping in and living for Jesus in our own time. Now, before we dive into these chapters, let me do a very, very quick recap. You'll remember that the book of Daniel comes to us basically in two halves. Daniel 1 to 6 is mostly narrative stories about a man called Daniel who served God in Babylon. Daniel 7 to 12 is mostly apocalyptic literature, uh, visions that Daniel had while he served God in Babylon. While the stories in Daniel 1 to 6 are straightforward to understand, chapters 7 to 12 are slightly more complicated. What's happening, though, is Daniel is seeing behind the scenes of the events that he is experiencing. He is peeking behind the curtain, and what he sees is that God is in control of everything that he experiences. Daniel's last vision spans the last three chapters of the book. We have only read chapter 12 tonight. We will be referring to chapter 11 this evening, but we're not really going to touch on chapter 10. Let me take just a moment to tell you what Daniel sees in that chapter. Daniel 10 gives us an insight into the great spiritual battle, unseen by us, but going on right now. It shows us that the, it shows us that the challenges to God's people on earth are paralleled by battles in the spiritual realms. So just as we are fighting here on earth, so there is a war happening in the heavenly places. Now this truth would overwhelm us were it not for the assurance given to Daniel and us that the hosts of heaven are on our side. So that's what we see in Daniel chapter 10. There's this great spiritual battle raging at the moment, but the hosts of heaven are on our side. What about chapters 11 and 12 though? Well, they're challenging chapters and we're gonna pull out big themes from them this evening instead of getting ourselves bogged down in the details. The reason we didn't read Daniel 11 is because it parallels chapter eight it mentions various kingdoms that will come and go, and we've covered a lot of that detail already. So what do we see in these chapters then? Three things, three simple point, but points. In Daniel 11 and 12, we see that God's people will be opposed, God's people will be kept, and God's people can and must endure. Let's begin with our first point. God's people will be opposed. Just like the other visions in this book, a heavenly messenger speaks to Daniel. And in chapter 11, he sees that various empires will come and go. Uh, we're given significant detail about it all, and all the detail is backed up by the history of the period. Everything that we're told about actually happened, actually came to pass. The, the revelation Daniel receives builds uh, as we read chapter 11 and as we hear about a contemptible person. So if you flick back to chapter 11 and to verse 21, you'll see that it says, In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Now the person spoken of here is Antiochus Epiphanes. We mentioned him when we looked at chapter 8. 
He was the ruler of the Seleucid Empire from 175 to 164 BC. But in that short time, he made an incredible impact on the Lord's people because he, he persecuted the Jews dreadfully. But as Daniel is told more and more about Antiochus, the language that is used of him grows in intensity. Gradually, we come to realize that Daniel is being told not just about Antiochus, but about one who is more significant than Antiochus. He's been told about a, a shadowy, evil figure known as the Antichrist who will appear towards the end of human history. They will particularly oppose God and will particularly persecute the church. Let's just take a minute or two uh, and let me show you how this plays out. So look at chapter 11, verses 29 through to verse 31. It says, At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For the ships of Ketim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged, and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. In 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes led an army south towards Egypt. He was intent on conquering Egypt, that's the south that is referred to in verse 29. The ships on the western coastline is a reference to Rome, which was a rising kingdom at that time. And on his way to Egypt, Antiochus was met by a Roman ambassador. The ambassador made it clear that if Antiochus was to attack Egypt, he would be out of favour with Rome and would be an enemy of this rising, powerful kingdom. Very famously, the, the, the ambassador drew a circle in the sand around Antiochus and made it clear that whatever way he stepped out of the circle, it would determine his future fortunes. If he stepped south towards Egypt, he was an enemy of Rome. But if he stepped back to the north, Rome wouldn't be concerned. Antiochus knew that he couldn't take on Rome, so he went north again. He was humiliated and he was furious Rumours had got to Jerusalem, which was under Seleucid control at that time, that Antiochus had been killed. And that led to an uprising, but Antiochus heard about it and went home via Jerusalem, and there he took revenge. And he committed some awful atrocities. He and his men killed 40,000 people. 40,000 were also sent into slavery. The, the city was also destroyed, and as verse 31 says, he put an end to temple worship. He ended the activities in the temple and slaughtered a pig, an unclean animal in Jewish eyes, on the altar, and he dedicated the temple to Zeus. It was one of the most dreadful periods in Jerusalem's history. There's incredible detail given to Daniel in this vision, and it's to make clear that God's people will go through very difficult times. All of what Daniel sees and spells out here actually happened. God is, of course, speaking through Daniel to all of his people, including us, to help them to be ready and prepared. At this point, God's people were returning to the land following the exile. They were going to know God's blessing in the land. But simply being God's people means that they will incur the wrath of the world. It means that the great spiritual battle that is raging in the unseen world around us will at times make things very uncomfortable for the people of God. 
It will be like that from that time right through history. That, that, that's what Daniel sees. But, but as the description of Antiochus goes on, the, the, the language seems to change and take on a wider dimension. So look at verse 36 in chapter 11 and following. It says, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. And then in verse 45 we read, And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Uh, the, the, the glorious holy mountain in verse 45 is probably a reference to the mount in Jerusalem. The place between the sea and the mountain is probably a way of describing a place that we know by a different name, the, the, the place known as Armageddon. This is doing more than just describing Antiochus. He, he, here is one who, who will strenuously oppose God and will meet his end at Armageddon. This is the figure the Bible describes as the Antichrist, the one who will come before Christ returns and oppose God and his people and then will be defeated when Jesus returns. As Daniel is shown the future, he sees that God's people will be opposed. There will be times of, of great oppression for the church. We see that as we look back on history. We see that as Daniel sees the, the, the persecution under Antiochus. But we also see Christians in the, in the Soviet Union living under intense persecution. We also look at Christians nowadays in Afghanistan living under the same intense persecution. Now remember that Daniel is, is, is saying this just as the first, first exiles are returning to Jerusalem. Dan, Daniel has seen his prayers answered in their return and he sees all this opposition in the future. It would have been easy for him to say or to feel, Lord, I thought this was over. I thought things had changed. I thought things were going to go well for us from now on. And that's a natural desire of all of our hearts. But Daniel sees this sweep of future history, this, this great upheaval, kingdoms and nations rising and falling, lots of suffering, rulers like Antiochus targeting God's people, and an outpouring of hostility before Jesus returns. And what we're supposed to realize is that God's people will be oppressed. That's the first thing God wants us to know about the future. God's people will be opposed. The second thing, though, and it's much more encouraging, is that God's people are kept. The vision of the end continues through into chapter 12. While this has been a harrowing experience for Daniel, there are lots of encouragements woven through the vision too. And we see that especially in chapter 12. What we see in particular is that God will keep his people. First of all, we see that his people are eternally safe. So look at chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above 
and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is talking about the resurrection, the resurrection of all people. We often think of the resurrection as a New Testament teaching, but here it is clearly described 500 years before the first Easter. Notice that it speaks of the general resurrection where all people will be raised, some who will face everlasting punishment, and some who will be raised to everlasting life. The blessing of the righteous is particularly underlined here. They will shine forever and ever. And you see that God will deliver his people by bringing them to his side. The the future of God's people with him in glory is secure. No matter what happens, all will be well for us. The future of God's people is not only secure, but it's also marvelous. We might not want to think about how long we have left in this world, but we might want to think about forever there, forever with God. As the hymn writer puts it, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Uh, a preacher called, called Ray Ortland has spoken about imagining speaking to a fellow believer in heaven 10,000 years down the road and saying something like this. What, what, what was it we used to call that thing that we were so frightened of? C- cancer, wasn't it? Do you remember that? Isn't it the case that when we've been there 10,000 years, so many of the trials in this life will seem so little, so small, so insignificant? What was it that we were worried about for a while on earth? COVID or something like that? Opposition, persecution. You you see, God's people will be kept and delivered into an eternity with him. Not only are God's people eternally safe, God will also keep his people safe on earth. He will keep his church. Daniel sees another part of the vision in verse 5 of chapter 12. He sees two figures on either side of the riverbank and a figure in white linen above the waters. This figure is Jesus. He also appears in chapter 10. Just like the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters at creation, just like Jesus walked on water before the disciples, here he rises above the waters in Daniel's vision. These waters were the river Tigris, And it was where the Persians used to throw the bodies of their enemies after a victory. So here Jesus is rising above the river of death. Who is like him? Who can possibly thwart his purposes? The angels, possibly Gabriel and Michael on either side of the bank, they ask, when will this happen? How will this happen? When, When will all these things take place? All very natural questions. The answers that Jesus gives have been widely interpreted, as you would imagine. Numbers in the Bible tend to end up with far too many interpretations and, and frankly, far too many disputes. Some people think that the time, time and half a time, is an indeterminate period that stretches on and on and on. Some people think that it stands for something like the time between Daniel and Jesus. There are quite a lot of possibilities. But look at the last numbers mentioned in verses 11 and 12. So 1,290 and 1,335 days. The first number, which is really a time, a time, and half a time, refers to the period of persecution. 
And then it is said, Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. What's the point? Well, there's definitely this point. The period of persecution will only be for a time, and then there's an after. There's a period that stretches beyond the period of persecution to the 1,335 days. In other words, there is an after, after persecution. God's people will be kept. They will be those who endure to the end. It will be terribly hard at times. It might look as as though they're gone, as if the church is finished, but they will endure. This is what God does. It looks bleak, but when things become clear, we find that God has been working all along. Isn't that the story of, of so many countries where the church was persecuted and eventually things changed and we learned that the church has been preserved and has multiplied and grown. God's people will be opposed, and that will be difficult at times. It'll be difficult for us to go through opposition, but God's people will be kept, safe now and safe forever in eternity. In light of both of those truths, what should we do? How should we live? Well, that brings us to our final point. God's people will be opposed God's people will be kept, and God's people can and must endure. One of the slogans produced during the wartime years was, keep calm and carry on. You still see it nowadays on mugs and posters and t-shirts. It has been paraphrased and changed and adapted, but those are basically the closing words to Daniel, keep calm and carry on. Look at verse 13 of chapter 12. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. You can see what's being said to Daniel. Daniel, you know something of the challenges of God's people in the future. It's all all part of this unseen battle. But Daniel, you have seen the Lord, and he is magnificent. He he rises above the rivers of death. He he knows what he is doing. He, He will keep his people And when they go from here, they will rise to be with him forever. So so now knowing that, you go your way. Go your way until the end. Keep doing what you're doing faithfully and consistently. Now we know what Daniel has been doing. He's been praying daily three times as we see in chapter 6. Reading the scriptures, the the prophet Jeremiah as we see in chapter 9. Living consistently and faithfully and pointing people to the Lord, as we see throughout chapters 1 to 6. But go your way till the end, Daniel. And in the end, Daniel, you too will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Nothing is wasted. Everything is to live for. The future is wonderful. Keep on going. And this is what God wants us to know about the future. He has gone to significant lengths to communicate the future to us. There will be opposition towards his people. God's people will be opposed. But the Lord has got this. God's people will be kept. And in light of that, we should keep living for him. God's people can and must endure. The the end of Daniel is really quite challenging. But in another way, It is really quite timely for us as a church family, especially as we begin a new season together. 
that there will be moments in this coming church season when we will face opposition. But we need to remember that when that opposition comes our way, we will be kept safe. And as individuals, as a church family, we can and must endure. We must keep pressing on and moving forward with the work here. Daniel 10 to 12 is complicated, but for all those words which were written long ago, they're meant to teach us today so that we may be encouraged to endure and to go on hoping in our time. The, the end of Daniel is also timely for you as well if you haven't trusted in Jesus. I find verses 1 to 4 of Daniel, of Daniel 12 really quite striking. They're, they're striking verses because they speak so plainly about the importance of trusting the Lord. Uh, there have been all sorts of, of preparations for going back to school in our house this past week. Uh, uniforms are ironed and ready to go, not by me, but they're ironed and ready to go. Uh, pencil cases are full and the contents are ready to be used. But we haven't got the books yet. We haven't got the jotters, the workbooks for homework and so on. Do you see the mention of the book in verse 1 of Daniel 12? But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Verse 2 goes on to say, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. You know, the, the, the striking point is this. It's that the most important thing for you, if you're not a Christian, at the start of this new church season, is for you to have your name written in the book. God's book. The, the book that is referred to as the Lamb's book of life in Revelation. The, the, the alternative to not having your name written in that book is, is laid out before you. If your name is in the book, you will enjoy everlasting life. If it is not, you will face everlasting shame and contempt. How can your name be written in God's book? How, how can your name be written in the Lamb's book of life? Can you write it yourself? Well, that won't work. You can, you can try but the Bible says it, it just definitely won't work. Can, can, can you get somebody else to write it in for you in the same way that you might copy someone's homework? Well, that won't work either. The, the, the only way for you to have your name written in God's book is to trust in Jesus, to turn to him in repentance and faith, to trust in what he has done for you on the cross and to say to him, I am sorry for my sin, and I now trust in what you have done for me. The end of Daniel is challenging, yet timely. But it's also striking because it speaks so plainly about the importance of trusting the Lord. There are some things about the future that we're better off not knowing. But there are some things about the future that God wants us to know. And he has gone to significant lengths to communicate the future to us. In the last part of Daniel, we have what God believes we should know about the future. God's people will be opposed, God's people will be kept, and God's people can and must endure. And those who don't trust in the Lord will face eternity without him. Tonight, can I urge you 
to make sure that you're trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone at the beginning of this new church season. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us tonight. We thank you that it is a word that helps us to go on hoping and looking to you. We thank you for that solemn yet realistic reminder that your people, we the church, will be opposed. But we thank you for that precious assurance that we will be kept safe by you in this life, but also in eternity. And in light of what we've seen this evening, we pray that as a church family and as individuals, that you would help us to endure, that you would help us to keep on keeping on, to keep on living for Jesus and to bring him glory in our daily lives. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray that you would bless it to all of our hearts. And we ask and pray these things in the Saviour's name. Amen.